Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm here with a very special guest today that I'm excited, but I got to give my uh, friend, Dr. Dave, uh, credit for uh, connecting us with this guest. So all I want to do is welcome everybody. Dave, I'll throw it over to you to do an introduction and get us uh, uh, kicked off today. Yes, well, uh, well, I have the pleasure of meeting Dr. Cisco Reyes here, and um, and it's amazing what we found out how much we actually have in common. Um, so, uh, so we crossed many times in our lives, but never met each other. Uh, it's a uh, it's it's been really cool getting to know Dr. Reyes here. So, um, so what I would like you to do, uh, Cisco, is if you could um, tell everybody a little bit about your background. Uh, where you've been professionally, uh, where, how you got here, uh, what drives you, what's your motivation, and then uh, what you're currently working on. Perfect. Well, again, uh, Matt, Dave, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's it's it really is one of those situations where it was meant to be. And again, Dave and I were we we were walking next to each other for a long time without ever knowing that we were walking next to each other, and and that's kind of the beauty within our industry and our professional professional realm of just how close we really are. Um, but I'm, I'm, ha I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm currently the associate professor, um, within our health human performance and athletics department here at Linfield university, which is a small division three school, um, right outside Portland, Oregon, um, in McMinnville, Oregon. Um, in addition to my associate professor duties, I'm the graduate program coordinator for our new masters of science and sports science and analytics, where we focus on sport technology and collecting physiological data to help inform decision-making for coaches, strength coaches, uh, rehab professionals, the athletes themselves, um, et cetera. Um, I mean, I think like all of us, we, we all started off as an athlete and we wanted to stay in athletics for as long as we possibly could. Um, I was a collegiate baseball player here at Pacific University, just right down the road um, in Forest Grove, Oregon, and knew that I love lifting weights. I love being in the weight room and I love seeing how strength training and the work in the weight room can transform the mind and the body to be better versions of themselves, which ultimately is my mantra is um, elevating and empowering athletes around me to be better versions of themselves. Um, and so strength and conditioning was something that I really had a passion for and, and, and still do. Uh, after I finished my bachelor's at Pacific University. I earned my master's and PhD back home in Moscow, Idaho at the University of Idaho, uh, where I focus more on baseball biomechanics, um, improving bat speed of, of during the swing. But then during my time in school and research, I was a volunteer strength and conditioning coach at the University of Idaho Athletics Department. So I always wanted to tie athletics with the academics. And I wanted to go to institutions where I felt that I had the opportunity to do that and work with like-minded individuals, again, both academically, but also in the weight room that wanted to find ways to just constantly improve themselves and also push 
the student athletes, again, to be better versions of themselves. And that's where um, Dave and I, where, where our lives kind of overlapped was as Dave was graduating from Northern Illinois, I was coming in as a new assistant professor at Northern Illinois. So we know very, uh, we know common colleagues and, and professionals uh, over at, at NIU. I spent three years there and then went to Concordia University here in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I, I had the opportunity at Concordia because it is smaller to do exactly what I wanted to do professionally, like I said, is really tie the athletics with the academics. So as a professor, I was also the athletic performance director. So I oversaw all the strength and conditioning with the varsity teams. But because of my role academically, I was able to bring in students to basically be my quote unquote assistants. And they could actually see firsthand the, the concepts within the classroom and how I was applying it um, in the weight room. Uh, I was there for six years, and then in 2017, I came here to Linfield uh, with a phone call from athletic director Gary Kilgore, who said he had a vision of bringing in athletics with academics, which is why he called me because he knew that was kind of that was my passion and my specialty. And here we are with this master's program, and it, it truly is an experiential learning um, program for our grad students, where we spend less time in the classroom and actually more time on the field on the pitch using sport technology to collect physiological data. So um, I'm, I'm very blessed to be where I am. Um, in addition to Linfield, I run the RISE Lab, which is a privately owned business out, out of Tigard, Oregon, where I focus on strength training and educating uh, middle school and high school athletes to elevate and engage them to be better versions of themselves. So it really is a, an integrated model that I, I, I live my life on by bringing in my family with the RISE Lab um, my work at Linfield and my passions within uh, education and strength and conditioning. Well, that is awesome. Um, and I think I, you know, like you said, you're tying athletics with academics and, uh, and students must just go crazy for that. And I, and I know that anytime you can tie something in the real world with you know, what you're learning in the classroom, it's going to stick 10 times better. So I can only imagine that your students are extremely engaged, love coming, love coming to your classes. Um, and, and that's the, uh, a, that's the basis of your entire master's program. Is that correct as well? It is. We wanted to create something unique. Um, and we, 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 we wanted our students to learn by doing and not just the professors and the faculty basically telling them what to do or, you know, go find, a, you know, 20 articles, write about it and come back and present it to the class. Like we, we introduce them to the technology. Uh, we assign them to a team and, you know, they collect the physiological data. Then we come back to the class and just brainstorm and critically think like, what are you seeing with, um, you know, jump monitoring? What are you seeing with um, HRV? What are you seeing with some of the cognitive testing that we're doing on a regular basis to ensure that, they're mentally fresh, but also physically fresh. And then we just kind of um, create visual summaries and go through some analyses that we can communicate with our sport coaches. And they ultimately make the decisions. I mean, you two know that they're the coaches. We're not the coaches. We just help them make decisions based off of what the athletes are telling us either verbally or physiologically, whether they, you know, whether they feel it or know it or not, uh, or not. You can inform the coaches as much as you want, right? But you can't force them. 
No, no, and and we understand that. that. We, Maybe communicate with them, <laughs> we communicate with them with that from the very beginning. It's like we're not going to tell you what to do, but if you find these metrics valuable, or even better, what metrics do you want to know, and then we can collect that for you. So it, communication is extremely important, and we don't want to collect data for the sake of collecting da data. And we all also tell them like we're not using your your student athletes as guinea pigs. Like we're not going to poke and prod them and change anything like we are really profiling and benchmarking and monitoring like those are the three things that we're doing and at that point you know it's your program you can do you know what you want to do but we've been fortunate to have coaches that that trust us and, and that and that buy into what we're trying to do so i'm, I'm curious like uh, being a athlete myself through college a lot of metrics you can that's what i love about sports is you have win-loss records you have uh batting averages, points per game, rebounds per I mean, it's so concrete in uh, so many ways. How have you seen, like, recently, you know, there just seems to be this real um, awareness of biometrics and sort of what's going on underneath the skin. I just love, as, as you've been in this arena now and interested in it for even longer, how have you seen a, a shift in sports or where do you see the shift in sports of – really digging deeper outside just the performance well but what's uh behind the performance in a lot of ways i think for future directions within this idea of biometrics and, and sports sciences i think finding that balance between um the monitoring side and just toughening it out and, and doing it you know and, and i think um, you know, we, we have coaches that really want to push their athletes and we can, we can collect the data and show them like, yeah, you're fatiguing them. And, you know, but maybe that's a part of their plan. And I think we're, um, at least I think we're, we're starting to dig out of it a little bit, but the pendulum kind of swung a little bit too far where as soon as an athlete, you know, reports like they're in the red or whatever, it's like automatically shut them down, you know, or, they're going to do a completely different practice or they're going to do a completely different regime on for the next couple of days because they are either neuromuscularly fatigued or emotionally fatigued or physiological fatigue, whatever it may be. But when we're talking about programming in general, I mean, there's overreaching, there's also overtraining. Yeah. We don't yeah. want to train them, but there are times where we do want to overreach. We want them feeling fatigued because we know that as a part of the ultimate plan we will then incorporate some sort of recovery or cycle change that's then going to allow them to super compensate, you know, several, several weeks down the road. So, you know, collect the collection of the biometrics, I think is a little bit more longitudinal and shouldn't necessarily be like day by day by day. Yes. You can make slight adjustments here and there, but you know, I, I mean, I think that the, the <laughs> I think the most recent example is things like Kawhi Leonard, where like, you know, you, you hear stories where he just shows up to the the facility at four o'clock on a 7 p.m. game. And he tells the coaches, like, I'm not playing today. It's like, well, why not? It's like, I just don't I just don't feel it. It's like, well, I, I, get, I get again, I'm not in the building, but I, yeah, I understand that. But can it's the playoffs. Like, are you able to push through this a little bit? You know, like this kind of do or die. Um and then I think the other side of the future direction and something that I'm, I'm more passionate about is the profiling and benchmarking. Mm -hmm. And when, whenever I talk to people about the things that we do at Linfield, the first thing that a lot of people think about is like, oh, it's like Moneyball. It's like, in a way it is, it, yeah. it really is. Like 
can we collect, you know, these physiological and psychological data? Can we quantify the six aspects of athleticism? And then can we correlate it to on-field performance? Like you said, does it translate to wins and losses? Does it translate to slugging percentage in baseball and in softball? Does it translate to points per game in basketball? Does it translate to minutes played in soccer? Because, you know, the, if, if you're available, you're going to help your, your team the most. And so, I think that's a future direction where we need more data and we need more collaboration with a, a large number of sports scientists to see are there physiological and athletic characteristics that can almost, I don't like using the word, but can almost predict performance. So then athletes or I'm sorry, coaches know who to recruit, who fits their system. And then therefore they can say this person is going to thrive in our system. Yeah. I, I love the Kawhi uh, example because it, I'm formulating this unscientific backed theory in my head. I'd love to get, Dave, I'd love to get your opinion on this uh, too, is I, I wonder, like we have these, and I, I think if you base anything on somebody like LeBron, you might be so far out on the standard deviations, probably doesn't normalize to the rest of us. But but I, I sort of wonder like him, Tom Brady, we have these folks who normally would have retired doing amazing things, uh, you know, especially, I mean, LeBron does stick out because basketball, you know, you can't stand behind big dudes and just throw the ball. You are actively involved every play. I, I sort of am wondering what we're seeing with the quads are like, are we hitting a point where we are sacrificing short-term availability uh, for a longer term career? Like, that's what I'm, I'm wondering if we're seeing the load management and I, I'm more of a basketball fan than any other sport, but like we're, we're, we're just in this time. Well, Larry Bird would have played through that, but Larry Bird had a relatively short, especially at his best career. If you look at it. So Michael Jordan retired because he was so burned out. He was also like smoking cigars before games uh, too. So like, <laughs> I, I kind of wonder like this hyper focus on, even Kawhi, if you listen to people that work out with him, he's so meticulous and works so hard, but it's like a fine-tuned machine that will break down maybe in the short term, but will perform for 20 years instead of 12, uh, which works if you're a really good like Kawhi, not so much for my basketball career, which was going to be over my senior year of college. And just wonder if you're seeing anything like that, especially when you look at professional athletes. So, so if I could, that's, um, you know, that's such a tough spot. And, and Cisco, you, you hit it right on the head where, you know, you have to balance that. Uh, where is it? You just got to push through this and where is it? Okay. You need to recover. Um, cause I come from a background in sports that are very tough. You know, it's, um, I come from ice hockey. I come from boxing. Uh, you know, I come from fighting professionally and mixed martial arts. Like, um, there is no, I'm not up for it today, coach. It's, it's no you get out there and you push your hardest, no matter what you feel like you, you stuff those feelings down and you just go through it. Right. Um, you know, you, you threw up big deal. You keep going and you got hit in the face, big deal. Going, uh, you know, and, um, but, but obviously those sports also have a very short lived career. Um, so yeah, the, that is a, uh, that is an interesting, uh, you know, question there as well. Um, but you know, from where I'm sitting, I always, I always have to go with, you know, it is maybe the, the quote unquote smart thing 
but is that the right thing uh, as well? Um, so I don't know. I so so Cisco, how do how do you guys handle that right now with your athletes? Oh, um, it, it's more of the the it's and it's obviously still a work in progress because our our grab program is is I mean we're only finishing up our second year, so we're still pretty new, but. It's definitely not a shutdown <laughs> type of thing. I mean, our our coaches don't want to hear that so and so shut down because they're tired. I mean, they're obviously not going to you know hear that. So it's more of uh, modifications, I guess, is is the best way to put it. So our sports performance director, um, Ella Maliska, like she she has a master's degree in strength conditioning and sports science. Her her dad is one of the top notch sports scientists in the world. So she she completely understands and supports what we're doing and how it's going to help her be a better professional. So as we go through some of the jump monitoring, you know, as we go through what, what we hope to be incorporating HRV with, with our teams that she understands that if someone comes in with a red, whether it's a questionnaire, jump heights, lower reactive strength index is lower. HRV is lower that she then knows what to do for their specific programming for that day so that she doesn't run them into the ground and knows that they still got practice later on, later on today. Mm -hmm. um, so she does really, she does a really good job of adjusting programs, uh, whether that's decreasing volume, obviously decreasing intensity, making a little bit more time for mobility work, or just kind of, you know, uh, lower intensity type of aerobic work to kind of help them recover. Um, and so we wouldn't have this program if we didn't have buy-in from everybody involved within our athletic department and then across campus. And like I said, we're very blessed that she she gets this and she understands the benefit of it. Um, we're, we're incorporating a new athlete management uh, software that kind of that houses all of our data that makes it easier to communicate with our sports medicine staff and our sports performance director and their sport coaches and the athletes themselves to say, you know, yeah, they might be reporting something with questionnaires, but physiologically their HRV's up and they're still jumping as high as they normally do as fast as they do. So like you said, Dave, like that's just go like, you're fine. Like you, you might be feeling tired, but at least physiologically, um, your, your autonomic nervous system and your neuromuscular system is saying that you're fine. So th that's just going to take communication. Um, but that's, that's our model, at least for right now with how we handle things here with our student athletes. So, Cisco, uh, with uh, mentioned the the longitudinal or linear, uh, you know, glance, uh, you know, focusing on that more than the day to day. So, with that, like we know that we know that when we when we watch somebody, you know, over the long term, and they are stressing themselves and pushing themselves, you know. Uh, that we're going to like HRV, for example, to start to decrease, right? Uh, and then we have to reach a certain point where we're going to pull them out and do the recovery process, as you mentioned. Um, but we know that if we keep pushing them, then the next time we push them, we can push them a little bit harder before they fall, right? Um, and then we help them recover. And then we can push them a little bit harder that next time, right? And, and we can keep pushing. So over the long term, we're seeing this tremendous growth out of a person uh, because we are pushing them out of that comfort zone on a consistent basis. Um, so I know you mentioned HRV, um, and of course that's what we want to talk about. But uh, what else do you guys use? So you guys are you guys are using HRV. What else do you use to measure uh, recovery? Uh, 
and to uh, and to decide when to pull somebody back into recovery as you're going through that uh, that long plan. So um, our our biggest monitoring tool, at least this past year, has been uh, counter movement jump testing, where we've we're, we've tested uh, teams once to two times a week, usually done before their their lifting session with our sports performance director where we have them jump two, three times counter movement jump. So with the wind up, the squat down, hands on their hips the whole time, because we just want to see what the lower body performance is doing. And there are specific metrics that we look at. And uh, when it comes to force plate jumping, we use Hawken Dynamics. And Hawken Dynamics um, has specific thresholds built into the software that gives the red, amber, green alert for those metric metrics. So if it's something green, that that means they're actually doing better than they were compared to their rolling average over the past several days. Um, Amber's just kind of like, they're pretty much the same, you know, might want to keep an eye on this one. And then red just means that it's significantly lower, their score significant lower than what their rolling average was. Um, so that's what we're using right now. Um, with this new athlete management software, it, uh, subjective questionnaires are built in as well. And that is something that we're, we are going to incorporate with teams next fall, uh, basically a kiosk system in the weight room. So as soon as they walk in, they'll just fill out the, the subjective questionnaire that gets a sense of their soreness, their moodiness, their fatigue, um, their soreness levels. Um, and then we can take that with their jumping data to get a sense of, okay, you know, they're, they're very fatigued or looking at the trends over the past couple of days, um, they're feeling great. So therefore Ella or myself um, can get a better idea of what their program is going to look like for that session, but then also the recommendations that we'll give them throughout the day leading into practice and then after practice, whether that's more, um, you know, soft tissue therapy with foam rolling and, you know, uh, other kind of quote unquote massage modalities, or, you know, if you can just get on a treadmill and set it at 3% and just walk for you know 20 30 minutes as a way to recover so we want them moving but we want them moving appropriately based off of their um their recovery um status and then like i said uh we're, we're hoping that we can incorporate hrv with at least one team this coming fall so now we've got more of an an autonomic nervous system type of response to their stress levels especially with their student at their students so school and finals and living situations and they might be working and so you know social situations like all those things come into play that we can really monitor their overall stress levels yeah that, that was kind of what uh set up my question really well was like i i don't want to take the fun out of the college experience for student athletes you know and i, I wonder like one i think for me as a college basketball player it would have been really nice to say you know, hey, we probably should get this dude into therapy. He's not sleeping well. He's stressed out all the time. Like this dude needs a sports. He just needs a psychologist. He does like get this dude some help because I'm sure my HRV was in the toilet. Now I could show up for a game and perform at an adequate level, but I wonder what I could have achieved. So I wonder like in your role, when you talk about, you know, maximizing performance, you know, we know if they're having a heavy night drinking or two or staying up till, you know, 2 a.m. on Red Bull studying for test or doing other funner stuff than studying for a test. 
Like there's a lot of these lifestyle things that probably contribute, especially to heart rate variability, but performance now that we know those are connected. How, how do you approach those issues uh, with your with your athletes? You know, you know, Matt. Uh, yeah, I, I remember what it's like in college being a student athlete. And um, when you're 18, 19, 20, 20 years old, you think you're invincible and yeah. you know that like I'll recover. I'll be fine. I'll, I'll yeah. bounce back. And they can. They're they're obviously very resilient, uh, both mentally and physically, at, you know, at, at their age. It, it comes down to one of my my mantras, education, you know, just educating them on, you know, what's good, what's bad, but then similar to what we talked about with the coaches, it's ultimately up to them. Like they're the ones making the decisions. And even when we do some of these tests, we always um, preface the testing by saying, we're not here to judge. We're not, we're not judging you on, on any of these things. We just need to get a sense of what you're doing, how you're moving, how you're feeling. And we always phrase it in a way that we're trying to help you be better. You're, we're trying to help you be be a better athlete. We're trying to help you to become a better student. And most importantly, we're trying to help you become a better and more educated person yeah. because you're only going to be playing sports for four years. Beyond that, you, you we're hoping that we're setting you up that you know how to take care of yourself because you've got the rest of your life to handle work and family and bills and stress and commuting and, and all that type of stuff. So we just have to educate we just have to empower them that they make the right decisions. Um, because yeah, I know what it's, I know what being a college athlete is like, and I want to have fun too. And we want them to have fun, but maybe just choose the right moments to have fun and not the day before a big conference basketball right. ball. Game. <laughs> and, from, and being here six years, you know, small division three liberal arts university, the students get it. They yeah. understand that they're not, division one in regards to athletes, but they have a very unique situation where they can get a really, really good education, yeah. but still play very competitive athletics. So I haven't noticed any sort of issue with it. I mean, our, our football program has like the longest active winning streak in NCAA across all three levels. It's like 66 years straight of, of a winning season. They're in, you know, the, um, the division three tournament every year, our softball team consistently ranked within the top five year in and year out. Our, our baseball team historically has been extremely good. I mean, we just have very good athletics, which then shows that we have good coaches, but we also have very good student athletes that understand their role and how to take advantage of their time here at Linfield. And once you are incorporating HRV, you guys will just be number one in everything. That's yeah. <laughs> Across all sports, <laughs> you're going to be <laughs> all sports, all divisions. Yes, yeah. all sports, all divisions. We'll, we'll be beating U of O in track. I mean, yeah, it'll there be you go, there. You go <laughs> optimal HRV versus Nike. I like it. We're ready for them. <laughs> so, um, it, well, w one thing that I did mention to you as well talked about his uh his basketball career so matt is six foot seven by the way um oh, so you okay. can't you can't tell that at the moment <laughs> normal sized on zoom <laughs> yes um but uh but i wanted to uh backtrack back to you were talking about the uh the vertical jumps is is that a daily you've taken that every single day when athletes walk in or, or most days, I should say. Most days, yeah. Two, two days a week, usually. Three days a week would be ideal. Um, but 
most of our teams in season are only lifting one to two days a week. So, and, and understandably so. Um, so we usually just get them to jump two days a week and we, we do it similar to the questionnaire, similar to HRV. We don't want them warmed up. You know, we just want them to come in. They do their three counter movement jumps and there are just a few select metrics that we look at to monitor what their fatigue levels are. Um, when they're jumping on force plates, we're getting tons of metrics on one jump for each of the, the athletes. So we went back and looked at the literature and found that here are maybe the top three or four up to maybe six metrics that really mean the most. Now, in regards to fatigue, there are other metrics that can you know pertain more to performance, but we're using it more to monitor fatigue. So it's it's extremely quick um, and can be extremely valuable to get a sense of how well their neuromuscular system is communicating with each, with each other before their lift and then for the rest of their day for school and practice. That's really cool. and, and that's a maximal effort on that, correct? Maximal effort. And we, we have to verbally remind them that because as you can imagine, you know, with <laughs> volleyball, 7 a.m. lift, on a Monday and they play on Friday, Saturday, they're probably traveling some on Sunday. They come in and, you know, you don't blame them, right. For being tired. So we just have to remind them, like, I know you're tired, but you just, just give me all that you got for these two, three jumps. And they, they've been, they've been um, compliant. I mean, again, they get it. They, they understand. And when you do enough testing, you can look at a jump both visually and then also looking at the tablet and the numbers to be like, Okay, like you could you could do better than that, and then they're like, okay, and then they'll you know do the last two with with good effort. Awesome. Well, that, that'll yeah. be really cool to see uh, HRV correlating with that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then as you guys uh, get into that too, uh, doing some breathing exercises too, I think that would be amazing to mm -hmm. see how that uh, how that affects some of the athletes and um, and whatnot. But uh, Matt, did you have a question there? Yeah, that, I would. Like, I think there's an interesting, I, I don't know if you've seen something that, that I, I might, might help me too, is the idea of strength training on heart rate variability. I think there's like, like for me now being in my forties, I, I know the benefits of strength training where I'm at now, you know, I I'm, I'm interested, like, because you're not necessarily raising a heart rate, you're putting strain on the body, but sort of. I, I could probably predict what a hard two mile all out run would do to your heart rate variability. Do you have any idea like uh, after lifting, are, are we seeing similar kind of stress? You Do you have any ideas what you're going to kind of see uh, post lifting and how that might kind of impact heart rate variability or just overall fatigue uh, moving forward? That's, that's a really good question. I, I myself don't know firsthand the HRV changes pre-post, like yeah. pre-lift versus post-lift. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, that is something that excites me in the sense of utilizing HRV with, you know, a couple of our teams starting this, this fall is having them do it the morning of, you know, when they first mm -hmm. wake up and then tell them, bring your, bring your straps. You obviously will have your phone with you. Now, after you lift, recover for about 10 minutes and then let's do HRV and just yeah. kind of see, you know, what it looks like, um, within the weight room as a strength and conditioning coach, we can easily adjust lifts based off of what the HRV is saying or their jump data where we can still get them to work, but we're just going to minimize either the volume or the intensity so they yeah. can recover. 
So one thing that I used to do when I was in the weight room more often actually training athletes than I, than I am now is if I saw someone that was, you know, really in the red, whether it was through questionnaires, um, we, we weren't using HRV at the time, but questionnaires or just, um, some sort of like velocity based measurement, like a jump or trying to move like an empty barbell as fast as they can. And they're, they're, they're moving slow. Um, I remember there was one time I had a men's soccer team. It, it was a six thirty lift. They, they played the night before we were supposed to lift. They all just came in and you could just tell I, there were no measurements. I could just tell right. these guys were dying. So they didn't, they didn't want to be there. They didn't want to lift. So I just said, all right, we're going to go up to the gym. And I had my student, I had two student assistants, student assistants at the time. I said, gather all the rubber mats that you can grab all the foam rollers, go up to the gym. And I want you to shut all the lights off. So we went up to the gym and we did 30 minutes of, I'm not a yoga instructor, but we did 30 minutes of like yoga type stuff where yeah. we would crocodile breathing. We would do some foam rolling. We would do some mobility stuff. And then after the 30 minutes, I just flipped the lights back on and the looks on their faces, they, it was completely different. It was complete. I mean, they, they were, they just looked more rejuvenated. Um, and I think they thought that they were going to come in and I was just going to hammer them. And I'm like, I'm not doing my job. If, if I just stuck to the script and just did our heavy deadlifts or, you know, bench or whatever it may be. Um, we can also change it in the sense of making it more neuromuscular and not so much cardiovascular, um, in the sense of the lift itself. So we can just focus on 15, 20 minutes of pure, just like power training. So it's, whether it's like med ball throws and like low level plyometrics or kettlebell swings, or, you know, maybe not so much Olympic lifting. Cause that is very complex for the, for the uh, neuromuscular system, but just finding ways to keep them what I call twitchy yeah. and then getting them out and then yeah. they're done at that point. So you know, good strength and conditioning coaches will be able to think creatively and think on their feet and go in deep into their toolbox to say that if I've got these five who are feeling fresh, they're going to stick to the script. If, if I've got these five who are showing signs of fatigue, okay, we're going to, we're going to take the same program, but we're just going to tweak the volume. We're going to tweak the intensity maybe regress some of the exercises. So they're not as complex. So you don't have to quote unquote think as yeah. much. And then you're out, you, you know, move on the rest of the day. And then again, educate them on sleep and hydration. And what are you eating? Try to go home and take like a 30 minute power nap between classes and practice or, you know, something like that. I love it. I love it. That, I, yeah. I think that this is an, an area that we'll learn a lot about over the next really few years is like, you know, we, we know that low heart rate variability can predict injury, but it may be that we just are pushing ourselves where we just don't have that much. And I think strength training is going to be an interesting area of not necessarily something that strains the cardiovascular system um, in the same way, but there's, yeah, I, I think there's a huge question there that folks like yourself can really help fill in of, you know, what, what, what do we see if somebody's in red and they lift hard you know, are we really decreasing it or is that better than doing a, a hard cardiovascular today? It can almost be part of an active recovery or do we pull back a little bit? And I think that's that's where I see a lot of folks are kind of asking questions about where does strength training kind of fit into all of this? So that, that's exciting uh, to know that you're already really thinking about that philosophically in your approach as well. And again, I, so I, I, I feel confident 
experimenting, if that's the right word, experimenting with something like this topic where you get pre post HRV, because I just want to go back and say, our students are very engaged when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. I mean, they get, they're here for school as well as sports, but I, you know, I'm just going to use our volleyball team as an example. Like I, I've got two going to be seniors, you know, more or less captains who are, who are exercise science majors and are two of the most engaged students in the class. Whenever we're talking about, you know, neuromuscular stuff or, you know, cardiovascular type of work, like the HRV, like they eat that stuff up. And so, um, going into the team and say, Hey, you know, Marina and Paige, can you two measure HRV now after your lift and let me know what your numbers say. And again, the compliance with, with our student athletes here have always been really, really high because they're engaged. They get it. They understand they want to be better. And going back to the the previous question, one thing I tell them too, it's like, do you guys want to get sick? And they're like, Oh no, 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 no. Like you can't afford to get sick. I'm like, well, that's why we're helping you track this stuff is we, we don't want it to get to the point where yes, you're hurt, but then now you've got like a cold in the middle of your conference right. season. And that's obviously going to, you know, uh, hinder your performance as well. So it's, it's things like that, that they, they understand, they, they, they really understand. Awesome. So Cisco with the, um, from the strength and conditioning coach uh, aspect, or even the, even the coach is aspect, I, you know, the logistics, of this as well, where it's so much easier when the entire team is doing the exact same thing. So when you think, oh, now you have, you know, as you were saying, these five athletes that have to do this program and these five athletes that need to do this program, and then the rest of you are doing this. Um, now that's a lot more work for the coaches. That's a lot more work, you know, for the uh for the people who are heading up the strength and conditioning programs. Um, so uh, so I think that's another hurdle. Uh, that needs to that we need to overcome uh and and i i can only imagine is a challenge um for you to uh for you you know as as somebody doing that um but then to uh to try to get coaches to do something different for different athletes um so i wanted to uh, i wanted to talk on that but then with um with the hrv itself uh doing that pre post workout is is awesome to do and i uh, and i uh, and so you guys know we we should see a drop in hrv um, especially if we're pushing somebody throughout that, uh, throughout that weightlifting program, but it's the recovery side. That's going to be really cool is where you can actually see that person recover from their workout. Uh, when you do that, you know, uh, post-exercise measurement of HRV, and then you can do hourly, um, you know, or every two hours or so, um, to actually see their HRV start to come back and see their autonomic nervous system beginning to recover throughout that day. And then of course the next day we have that, uh, global impact too. So, uh, so it'll be awesome to see, but, uh, but yeah, to, to the logistics, is that a challenge, um, to overcome or do you foresee that as a challenge as well? Uh, it, no, it, that's a really good point. Dave. That is a challenge. Uh, it, and it's funny because when I was in the weight room, more training, training athletes, and I would have, again, a, a group that needed more recovery, couldn't go as hard. At least that's how I felt based off what I saw. It was really easy for me to pivot and just be like, okay, like we're going to have you two again, hop on a spin bike, like what we call high intensity, continuous training, where you just hop on a spin bike, you crank the resistance up like really, really high. And you're just going to sludge through this pedaling for, for 20 minutes. It sounds brutal, but um, it's actually a really good recovery tool because it's, it's all concentric because you're on a bike. Um, it's really easy for me to do that. And I'm more than willing to do that. 
Um, I also coach a club softball team here in the area and I coached high school baseball and, and as a sport coach, when I get that, it's annoying. Like in the sense of when I have someone that comes and says, Oh, I can't do X, Y, Z as a sport coach. I'm like, God, like, really? Like you can't do, like, I have this nice practice plan that we're going to work through. And now you're telling me that you can't do. So it's like, the two different types of hats that I wear one of it I'm more understanding and then the other one it's like we have things to do we only have two hours like you got to be able to do this this it absolutely is a challenge and 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 a part of what we're doing right now within our our sports science and analytics program and again we communicate this to the coaches is we just want to collect data for the next three years on your team we're not going to necessarily change anything but we're just going to collect all of this data. So then you can go back in retrospect and say, we had a really good year in 2022, or we had a really good year in 2023. Now it's 2024, 2025. Well, why don't you look back and see what were you doing practice plan wise or in their situation, like periodizing, like their programming for practices and training leading into games. Did you do anything different uh, and and why and and how that correlates to maybe how well that you did, and if we start to see certain trends, then that could be the data that's going to drive them to change maybe their practice plans, where they are going to have to be a little bit more flexible, or they're they're already going to have to plan different like two different types of practices on that day because they know they're going to have a group that's going to be tired, and they know they're going to have a group that's ready to basically at attack the day. Um, I think good sport coaches are able to be flexible and change on the spot. Again, that doesn't mean that they have to drastically change their program, but they can at least take a group and say, all right, instead of this drill, I'm just going to use as, as an example, instead of doing it for 20 minutes, you're going to do it for 10. And for the other 10, you're going to go off with the athletic trainer or the sports performance coach, or you're going to do some sort of like recovery modality. So you're still getting the drill, but you may not necessarily be going as long or as hard as maybe the others who are fresh. Um, with some teams like our men's soccer and women's soccer, we do incorporate GPS. So yeah. that can come into play as well to be like, all right, you notice how on Mondays your, um, your load metric was really high or your distance was really high. Remember when you did that in 2021 and you saw these rash of injuries, your win loss record was really like, again, we're just collecting it. And then you can go back and look to see what, what works, but it is a barrier for sure. And, and that's kind of the buy-in piece. That's why we're not really making the changes with the sport coaches just yet. We're just giving them the data at this point. But again, our sports performance director, she understands what, what needs to happen and she's good enough um, to know that, all right, we're going to shift. We're going to adjust this for this group. And we're going to do this for the other group. One, I, I, just, I think it's, you know, what, what I would be fascinated to see, because you, you know, the, the good and the bad about heart rate variability, the good is it's a universal measure of how well you're handling or recovering from stress. Sort of the negative side of that is stress. It's all stress. So it's yeah. not just physical, but like, okay, it's finals week. So I, I really, what I'm fascinated with what you're going to find is like on, on some of the other physical, the jump tests for lack of the technical word that I'm thinking, but like that paired with heart rate variability is you may be during like finals or midterms uh, stress out. Does that, does a red HRV or a low HRV score always correlate with a lower vertical you know or other physical tests that you're doing because it, 
it might, but you could also argue, I just need to get out from the library and studying. So I cannot wait. There, there were days I just couldn't wait to get in the gym because I didn't have to think that much, you know, games I had to think, but a practice I could just run. And if I missed a shot, nobody cared, nobody won or lost, but I could just get out of the library and that piece. So I'm, I'm really interested uh, to see that how that sort of correlates with one another. And then those, those really great outcome metrics that sports gives you on top of that is really exciting. Well, it's funny. It's funny. You mentioned that because a, I, I was actually just thinking of that um, uh, yesterday, but he, here's, here's an example of this. So when I was um, at Concordia working with their women's soccer team, it was um, August. So they're all back for, for fall camp. Again, I wasn't doing HRV at the time, but I was doing subjective questionnaires. Yeah. So every morning they would fill out, you know, five questions that they would just give a number to uh, one through five. And then I would tally the numbers up and their total score higher means they were less stressed. Lower number means that they were, they were more stressed. And there was this one girl for about four or five days in a row, she kept, she had really low, low numbers. Like she was reporting fatigue and um, um, uh, lack of sleep and moodiness and all this type of stuff. And I went to the head coach and I was just like, um, so how's so-and-so doing in, in, in practice? And he was like, fine. Like, I don't notice any drop off. And, you know, and, and, and he asked me why, and I'm like, well, you might want to keep an eye on her because she's reporting X, you know, this, this time. And he was kind of surprised because she actually had been practicing, you know, pretty well. And the beauty in monitoring. And I think for me, the beauty of incorporating something like HRV is the mentoring and the education piece that I'm trying to, you know, hammer in regards to, you know, my purpose and my passion for what it is that I do here at Linfield and at the Rise Lab is now it gives me a chance to communicate with the student athlete to get a sense of what's going through their head. And most importantly, for them to know that you have coaches and faculty here that support you and are here to help you. Yeah. And that athlete, when I approached her, she was homesick. Yeah. So she's from Hawaii. She was homesick. Um, so she couldn't sleep. I think she said there was something else going on at home that I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask. It's, it's not my business, but all it came down to is that she was homesick. Like she, that's, it wasn't, had nothing to do physically, had nothing to do with the practice, nothing to do with the lifts is that when she was back in her apartment, she just couldn't stop thinking about being, not being at home. Yeah. And so then we could create that support system. Cause there were other girls from Hawaii on that team that were able to kind of prop her up. The head coach had an idea. So that's that example of where the stress may not be from lifting and training and practicing games, but it's all the other stuff that's happening in their life because they're, they're humans, they're student athletes. And HRV is going to allow us to kind of peel that layer off so that we can say, we're here to help. Like if there's anything we can do with mental health and the emotional side and, you know, finals is too much, school is too much we're here to help and we're, we're, we're here to be a support system. Awesome. And that's, uh, that's so cool. And brings up the great point, uh, you know, within, within any kind of tracking, um, but especially something that, uh, that gets talked about a lot in the world of heart rate variability is that a, a reading without any context is meaningless, right? And that's where context is so important with these things, because without proper context, you don't understand what is going on. And, and that's a, that's a perfect example of it. Um, and, and so cool, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that we do have these different sources. Um, so I know we are wrapping up here and we're getting, uh, we're getting towards the uh, top of the hour here. So, uh, 
So Cisco, I wanted to ask um, from somebody who is a uh, is an expert in the area of, of performance and recovery. Um, what are some of your personal or uh, or as a coach from a coaching standpoint, some of your favorite recovery strategies? Uh, <laughs> minus sleep. <laughs> That's just, yes. number one. I think. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I get a, I get a hard time for my wife's, you know, because every time I come home, it's like, I just, I just want to sleep like that's just, that, that, that's just my thing. But no, um, sleep, I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but we all know sleep that it's such a, it's an easy and free exercise or recovery modality. I mean, it, it really is. And so, you know, I, I, we could save for another topic, but all like, you know, this, the, the ways we can monitor sleep and sleep hygiene and, it, it it really is important. And I think you two would agree with me that, you know, we feel different when we get a good night's sleep, when we get that deep sleep, we can, we're able to get that resting heart rate and, and our respiratory rate, like down really low. And, you know, um, we just feel different. Um, uh, other recovery methods for me, um, Matt mentioned it earlier, at least this is for me personally, but it's something I also program is just active recovery. So just walking, like just go on a low intense walk. Um, I, at, at our house, we actually have a, tre I built a treadmill desk on our treadmill. And so I'll just set it to like one and a half miles an hour. And I'll just set one, one and a half mile an hour at 1% incline. And I'll just walk as I'm on my laptop at the same time. So I'm able to get work done, but at least I know that my body is still moving. Um, I know a lot of our student athletes here swear by foam rolling, um, whether again, it's with a foam roller or those tiger tail, you know, type of, uh, stick things. Um, that is something that I, for, for me personally, I, I need to make it more of a priority. I, I do see a massage therapist once a month, um, just to kind of help with muscle tightness. You know, I, I, I commute 45 minutes each way. I, I have a lot on my plate. So I do see a massage therapist once a month. And for me personally, that helps that, that really helps. And he, 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 or she always tells me like, wow, like you're really tight here. It's like, well, yeah, I, especially <laughs> here. It's like, yeah, you didn't have to tell me that's why I'm here to see you because yeah. I am really tight. And then they educate me like, yes, I'm in the field. I educate others, but it's, it's always nice to hear from another professional that says, Cisco, you need to do you know, these types of things, like drink yeah. more water. Like, what are you eating? I mean, that's another recovery is, is, diet that I try to educate others and people that know me best know that the diet, that's my, my biggest weak weakness is my diet. I have too much of a sweet tooth. I don't eat the right things. I eat a lot of inflammatory based foods because to me it tastes good. So if I could be better at the diet part, I feel like I would recover way better. Um, but I think I would sleep would be number one. Sleep would be definitely be number one on, on my list and finding ways to fill your cup, whatever that is. And, and I tell students wow. that as well, like whatever it is that you need to do to fill your cup, everybody does it differently. You need to make time for yourself. Yes. You've got school. Yes. You've got training, you've got lifts, but I always ask them like, so what are you guys doing on the weekends? And, you know, I think they're like going back. I don't think they're going to tell me what they do on the weekends. Right. But, um, you know, I always say, look, make sure you guys, you know, do something fun, do something that puts a smile on your face, you know, whatever that is, because that's definitely more, probably more emotional than it is physical. Um, and um, 
you know, you, you two know that when you do something that you really enjoy, almost like a hobby, you just feel different after yeah. that. A hundred percent. I want to applaud you. I, and I, and for, you know, all the listeners out there, there it is straight out of the mouth of a, a, a sports science, a PhD here. I, and the best recovery is not a $50 sports drink, right? It's, <laughs> it is, it is sleep. Oh my gosh. Right. The basics. If you're doing the basics right, everything else just falls into line. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, that is so awesome. Such great advice. So uh, so so thank you so much. Did I did you I uh, have anything? No, yeah. I Cisco. Oh. I just want to thank you uh, for a great episode today. Uh, where my people will we'll put uh, some stuff in the show notes, but. If uh, people want to follow up, where, where would people uh, find you? Like I said, we'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah, um, yeah Dr. Dave knows I'm, I'm very active on social media. Um, I, I don't consider myself or striving to be what they call a social influencer, but I want to be a social educator. Awesome. So I use my um, my Instagram platform, just pumping out information on all things sports, science and analytics, strength and conditioning, just kind of sharing experience that I've experiences that I've gone through in regards to, again, exercise, stress, training, um, stuff on like the clinic that I was just at, you know, over the weekend, just kind of what's going on in, in my world. And so the best uh, way to get a hold of me is through Instagram. And it's my, my handle is at the underscore rise underscore lab. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's a really good place to get some fun and educational content on sports science, as well as a way to uh, communicate, get a hold of me. Um, yeah. Awesome. And we'll, we'll throw that in the show notes as well in case anybody missed it. Uh, I logged into my Instagram account for the first time in like six years yesterday. So, uh, you're, you're a good inspiration and I have logged into mine uh, way more than Dave has logged into his. So, uh, you, you are an inspiration for both of us, my friends. Well, Cisco, it's an honor to work with you. Uh, th this has been an amazing episode. Uh, philosophically, I'm really excited because uh, it's such a good fit and I'm excited to learn with you and uh, we'll have to have you back on soon as uh, you start to implement HRV and uh, learn some of those lessons together. So really appreciate your time and uh, how you think about this. I, I wish you were around in uh, my college career. I, I could have been much healthier because uh, I was just sitting there with the ice cream machine and uh, Drinking uh, Mountain Dews and the Sunday bar that was free in the well, cafeteria. So no, I get it. I mean, I, you two would understand if if I know what I know now and I knew it back then, I would have been a totally different person. Not just student athlete. I would have been a totally different person. But that's why I do what I do. Is I'm trying to educate these kids to basically don't make the same mistakes I did. Right. I'm not saying it was bad, but just again taking care of myself and how I train for sports. Like don't, don't do what I did, like be, be better than what I did and be better than, than what I am right now. And so that's my, that's my, my, my passion and my uh, passion and purpose is to push them to be better versions of themselves. So thank you too, for having me on. This was a lot of fun. And yeah, anytime that I can come back and just chit chat with you guys and learn from you two as well. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks thank so much. And uh, thanks to our audience for joining us again. Uh, Again, show notes will be at OptimalHRV.com and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks so much, Cisco. Thank you.